Section 9 of Northern Trails, Book 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Melissa Jean. Northern Trails, Book 2, by William J. Long. Out of the Deeps, Part 2. Another day towards twilight, while the schooner loafed along in no hurry whatever to reach an anchorage, I was standing at the bow watching the shoals of fish and the circling gulls when a whale broke water and lay resting on the sea. Close about him were some black rocks, breaking the surface as the tide fell, and as Leviathan scratched himself leisurely, like a huge sea-pig, against the rough surfaces to rid his skin of the clinging barnacles, or lay quiet with his black hump above the water-line, he might easily have been mistaken for one of the rocks, about which the tide was swirling and ebbing. A big herring gull, heavy and sleepy with too much feeding, came flapping along. As he saw the inviting rock, he set his broad wings and dropped his heavy feet to alight. The toes had barely touched the huge back, when plunge, cuck, cuck, there was a lightning swirl and a smother of soapy water. The whale was gone, and a frightened and wide-awake gull was jumping upward, humping his back and threshing the air, and cuck, cucking his astonishment at the disappearance of his late landing place. Here were more feelings, delicate enough to feel the touch of a bird's toes on a back so big, that, judging by what the whaleman had told me of the whale's insensibility while being lanced, I had supposed its nerves must be arranged about as plentifully as telegraph wires in the country. The whole proceeding was like the lightning jump of a sleeping wolf when a twig cracks or a leaf drops close to his ear. One day, while the schooner lay becalmed, I jumped into the dory with Noel and pulled inshore to see what the herring boats were doing, and to collect some of the queer, unknown fish that were brought up in the nets. As we moved among the boats, I caught sight of a big whale gliding in towards us with all the cautiousness of a coyote approaching a sleeping camp. He would stop here and there and pick up something, and glide forward again to the left or right, like a fox quartering towards a quail roost. As he drew near, I saw that he was after the scattered herring which had fallen from the nets, and which were now floating astern on the surface as the tide drifted them away. Closer and closer he came, while we all stopped our work to watch. The huge bulk would glide softly up to a tiny dot of silver floating on the ocean's blue. The great mouth would open, wide enough to take in a fisherman, and close gently over one small herring. Then he would swallow his tidbit, and back away slowly to watch the boats a while, before picking up another morsel. He always turned sideways so as to look at us with one eye, as a chicken does, for he seemed unable to see straight in front of him, but he had other senses to depend upon and also that unknown feeling of danger when ordinary senses are useless, which the whale-men tell us is so strongly developed in this uncouth monster. While he was nosing after two or three herring, I motioned Noel to be quiet, and slipping an oar over the stern, began to scull gently towards him. Hardly had the bow of my dory cleared the line of punts when he sank from sight, and when he came up again he was far away, heading straight out to sea. Farther up the coast, where the straits began to be ice-choked, Another curious fact came out, namely that some of these warm-blooded monsters, though they live amid the icebergs, are unwilling to come close to even a small cake of floating ice. The water there is always chilled, and Leviathan avoids it absolutely. More than that, though, he is generally set down as a stupid creature. He showed some small degree of intelligence in taking care of himself. Here, on the west coast, especially under the influence of strong southerly winds, the tide will often set for days in the same direction without turning. Leviathan knows this, though many a skipper loses his vessel in the fog because of his ignorance of the steady eastward set of the tide. At such times, loose ice drifts away and the whales enter many of the narrow bays to feed abundantly on the shoaling fish. 
but when the tide turns at last and the ice comes drifting back the huge creatures leave the bays fearing to be shut in by a barrier of ice to the whalemen's mercies and though there be a dozen whales in the bay as many miles apart they generally turn all at the same instant as if at command and head swiftly out to the open sea and safety where the straits grew narrow and the floating ice threatened to block our way altogether we saw another curious bit of leviathan's precaution he would stand straight up on end appearing like a huge black spile rising ten or fifteen feet above the water and look far ahead over the nearer ice floes to see if the straits were blocked and if the survey were unsatisfactory he would dive deep and come up with a terrific rush breaching his entire length out of the water for one swift look far ahead to see whether his course were clear still later when we had at last doubled cape bald with its fog and ice and were heading southward i saw one day a mother whale lying on the sea suckling her little one they were resting inshore close beside our course and i had an excellent chance to watch them through my glasses ere the mother took alarm and disappeared silently as a mother moose might have done leading her ungainly offspring to my wonder she did not lie sleepily quiet as other mothers do that would have been fatal to the little fellow but kept up a rhythmic rolling from side to side now dipping the calf deep from sight now lifting his head above the tops of the waves as he clung to her side so as to give him free chance to breathe as he fed greedily from his mother's great breast and as we drew nearer there was a faint low mumbling whether the rare voice of the whale or an audible breathing through the blowholes or made in some other way i could not tell full of a deep uncouth tenderness as she talked in her own way to her little one telling the world also that even here in the cold ice-choked wastes of desolation life was good for love was not lacking indeed the tenderness and rare devotion of these huge monsters for their little ones is the most fascinating thing about them here there were feelings of an entirely different sort and now the heart of a man was touched in the thought that there was something in the huge creatures of our sport that was after all akin to ourselves at first our interest had been largely barbaric to stir up leviathan with the fear of man and see how quickly like the oily flash of a dolphin he could make his bulk disappear the scientific stage followed in in which we spoke of unclassified varieties hoping to make a discovery and babbled of dentiseat the presence of teeth being more important than habits of life and balinidae and fistoridae especially physeter macrocephalus and orcanus gladiator in six varieties what's that demanded the grizzled old fisherman who could stand it no longer that's a killer whale i told him oh he said should think twould kill you to remember it so he gave up trying to name these monsters of the abyss with names sufficiently uncouth to be scientific and brought back the crew to life by lowering a boat to see what kind of squid or fish or tiny mollusk they were eating for we had been told that in certain species the throat of one of these huge whales is so small that a pippin would choke him soon the sporting interest awoke one who knew the whalemen well talked of harpoons and ambergris and told the story of the nantucket ship that had been charged and battered and sunk by a fighting old bull whereupon the grizzled fisherman of st barb's pulled in with an account of what he had seen last summer when a whale blundered into the fisherman's nets during a storm three days he lay in the trap now pushing his head into a net and drawing back in a fright at the queer thing now breaching clear of the water to see if there was any way out and falling back heavily again as if discouraged in his quest then he evidently made up what he would call his mind and the whole fleet of boats stood by and cursed impotently while the hopes of a dozen families went whirling blindly out to sea on the flukes of a bewildered wall. 
but these stages were past and our interest was purely human as we stood now in a close group at the weather rail of the schooner scholar and fisherman alike to learn what hidden grief or pain had added a new voice to the world of waters the whale rolled up again nearer this time there was a wriggle and a flash beside him a long snaky body leaped clear of the water doubling itself like a steel spring and struck down a terrific blow at the whale's head thresher cried the skipper excitedly the creature leaped and struck again and a heavy thud rolled over the ocean like the blow of a giant flail before i could see plainly all that happened something struck the whale from below and he rolled under in a smother of foam while the ocean itself seemed to bellow forth its rage and pain but whether the strange sound were indeed the rare voice of the whale or the reverberation of smitten water or the vibration of great volumes of air driven out of the labouring lungs through the blow-holes we could not tell nor had the fisherman ever heard it save when a whale was fighting for his life while the whale was gone and we watched breathless for him to come again to the surface the skipper and the old fisherman answered my hurried questions yes they had seen the threshers or fox sharks before and had sometimes caught them in their nets once they had seen three or four of them fighting a whale as they were jigging cod on the shoal they were from twelve to twenty feet long the skipper said including the prolonged upper lobe of the tail which they could use with a terrific force as a weapon of offence then the scholar brought out of the cabin the skull of a fox shark that we had found in the hut of a labrador fisherman a skull that was chiefly a pair of long pointed cruel jaws with rows of hooked ivory fangs fitting together like the teeth of a bear trap that's it a thresher said the skipper he'll gouge them jaws into a whale or porpoise with a twist of his tail and rip out a bite that would fill a bucket there he is the whale shot out of the depths and breached clear in the water of his upward rush as he fell back there was the same flash and wriggle beside him the same leap as of a bent spring the same heavy blow and moan then something else appeared darting up like a ray of light and the long blade of a swordfish ripped through the whale's side the force of his attack brought the big fish to the surface where we saw his shoulders plainly and caught the flash of light on his terrible weapon as he turned to dive beneath his victim the whale sounded again turning fair on end with the thresher leaping over him or standing on his head to strike down a last terrible blow as the huge victim sought blindly for an abyss deep enough to escape the lash and sting of his enemies the schooner fell away in the light evening wind and the rush of the uncouth tragedy carried it swiftly away where no man watched the end of it but this much seemed clear the two strangely assorted bandits savage monsters of the savage sea were working together to destroy their great and helpless victim the thresher lashing him down to the swordfish with flail-like blows of his flukes and the swordfish driving him up on the point of his lance to the thresher again what started the fight or how it ended no man can say here and there between the ship and the rim of dusk there would be a sudden turmoil a flash and a whirl of foam as the turmoil sank a low moan shivered on the sea so they passed out into the deeps and were gone end of section nine end of out of the deeps